first scripture reading today will be Psalm 34, if you want to open it in your Bibles to follow along, or it is also printed in your bulletin, Psalm 34. I want to point out the, um, the contrast between verses 1 and 2 and verses 13 and 14. 1 and 2 are how we are to act. 13 and 14 are how we may have used to act, or how the world acts and what we're not to do. So it gives us a contrast between who we are to be in Christ and who we are not to be as we live in the world. <clears throat> and now, beloved of the Lord, hear the words of our Lord, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and delivers them. O oh, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Thus says the word of our Lord. As we read Peter's letter this morning, I want you to notice how personal he writes. This is a very personal letter written to each and every child of God. Listen carefully as we come now before the Lord to hear his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. We will be reading 1 Peter 1, 22, chapter 2, verse 12. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the, the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And our text today, 
So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thus says the word of the Lord. Again, this is a very personal letter. We're to feel the weight of how this is to impact us. These are words directed to each and every one who is in Christ. Just to summarize, to get us up to this point, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter addresses to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. You know, this letter was specifically written to the dispersion, but again, take it as a personal letter written to you, as if you received it in the mail. To those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, turn it to the first part of our reading today, verse 23 of chapter 1. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Remember this, how God had showed us this clear back in Genesis 3.15. The division of mankind. First, the seed line of the sons of men. The seed line belonging to the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the devil. Then there was the seed line of the Son of God. The kingdom of God. And as we progress through the Old Testament... We see that seed line narrow down from the sons of God in Genesis to the sons of Israel, then to the son of David, then to the seed, the son, the one promise in Genesis 3.15. Jesus, who being truly man and truly God, 
is appropriately, appropriately named the Son of Man and the Son of God. Both designations. All who are in Christ are born again, adopted children of God, and born again into this imperishable seed line. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. The kingdom of God for all who are in Christ. One kingdom with both Jew and Gentile alike. All who are born again, all who are in Christ. Our kingdom, the kingdom of God. But while we live in this world, we are sojourners in a foreign land. We're pilgrims being transformed. Restored to the likeness of Christ. Be transformed into citizens of the kingdom of God. The central focus of Christ's ministry was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was anticipated in the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was inaugurated by our Lord's first coming. And the kingdom of God is explained fully in the New Testament. The kingdom of God will be consummated at Jesus' second coming. Not only are the children of God born again of imperishable seed, but the creation will be born again. The new heavens and the new earth will be the imperishable, undefiled and unfading kingdom of God. At this time, we're told, that kingdom is being kept in heaven. But a day will come, redemption will be complete, Christ will return, judgment will take place, with the work of redemption complete, the eternal Sabbath spoken of in Hebrews 4 will be ushered in, the new birth of the new heavens and the new earth. All who are in Christ will be glorified with a glorified body, reunited body and soul, together as kingdom citizens in the kingdom of God. Before all that, today we will look at kingdom life in the world here. Three points. We are a chosen people, we are a chosen priesthood, we are a chosen holy nation. We live, we sojourn in a worldly nation. Some nations godlier than others, but our inheritance, the Lord Jesus, is Lord of a holy nation, a spiritual house. Three points, chosen people, chosen priesthood, chosen holy nation. If you have your Bibles open, we'll start with 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We're called to put off the things of old, the worldly things, our worldly nature. All malice, that's anger. All deceit, lies and dishonesty, dishonesty for self-gain. All hypocrisy, the cleaning of the outside of the cup. But the inside remains dirty. All envy. Covetousness. Not being content with the things God provides. All slander. We see this today. It's getting louder and louder. Hate and slander. Especially around election time. But continually, we see it even on the so-called news channels. Where they form panels to come together. Spewing hate. Slander. 
There's no more debate in politics. It's just what can I, what kind of dirt can I dig up on my opponent? We are called to put off, lay aside all that makes up that character of our old sin nature. But how do we do that? How do we lay aside the old nature? We do it by putting on the new nature. Verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, As newborn infants, we desire nourishment in order to satisfy our appetite. As born again children of God, we have appetite to know God. For the Word of God, the chief purpose of our prayer, our spiritual needs to know God. No, the world has appetite. The appetite is for self, determined by self according to the lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But that appetite, that appetite leads to conflict in all directions. Leading to malice, deceit, envy, slander, hate. God's common grace is at work in the world restraining lawlessness. That is until the the restraints are loosed. Saving grace is much, much more. Saving grace adds to the children of God love for God. Appetite for God. Appetite for God's Word, to know God, to know reality, to know truth. And from that appetite comes an appetite for loving our neighbor. You know, I didn't have to teach my sons when they were born that they needed to have appetite when when they ate. They tasted, they appreciated it, they liked it, they wanted more. Those who are born again will have that same appetite for God. For God's word, for truth, for reality. For some, this happens at a young age, and it's just a gradual thing. But it's there, it's hunger, it's an appetite for the word of God. Others, it comes upon them suddenly. But as a newborn grows by the nourishment of milk, the born again child of God will also grow. By the nourishment of the word of God. Verse 4. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God chosen and precious. Jesus is the cornerstone of the living temple. Our living rock. Rejected by men but chosen by God and precious. Peter was called the rock by Jesus. Here Peter turns that around. Putting the Lord first. The Lord who is precious. You know, when we see something precious, we desire it. Our appetite is for the things we find precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, in the original temple building, the cornerstone was laid first. The rest of the stones were then aligned to that cornerstone. All who are in Christ are living stones aligned with the chief cornerstone, Christ. All that we are, all that we will ever be, is found in our chief cornerstone. Jesus, 
the ultimate precious stone, filling us with desire, with appetite, as we read, study, hear more and more of Him. Whenever we read and study God's Word, when we hear the preaching of God's Word, when we hear the voice of Jesus, we think upon Him more and more, our ultimate preciousness. We seek fervently after Jesus. We worship Jesus, our ultimate preciousness. In the world, what we find or what we determine to be precious, that becomes our idol. That is the worldly system in a nutshell. But the ultimate preciousness is seen in God the Father, who sent His one and only Son to hear the, to bear the wrath due us. The Holy Spirit who pours out saving grace upon us. Born again, given the gift of faith, so that we believe, so that we are justified. We are the redeemed. We have peace with God. We have access to God. We rejoice in God. Why? Because we have tasted the Lord is gracious. Because in our new nature we find God to be the ultimate preciousness. Our desire is not perfect. Our desire is not perfect. Not yet. There is still a war within us. But get this. We also know that we too are precious to God. Think about that. We have been made precious to God. God desires and delights Himself in His children. God loves His children, loves His children with an everlasting love. We are in Christ, seen by God in Christ. First and foremost, our Savior is precious. Jesus is precious like a precious gem, a precious stone. Christ, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Christ, the ultimate preciousness, the chief cornerstone, the rest of the superstructure aligning on Jesus. That's us. Back to our verse, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Our next point. We are made a holy priesthood so that to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God Through Jesus Christ. Point two. We are made a chosen priesthood. A holy priesthood. So that we may offer up spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the old temple system. Only the priest had access to God. Now through Christ. All of God's children. All who have been justified are at peace with God. And have access to God. That's Romans 5. God proclaims in Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter further validates the old temple system, the priesthood, the fact sacrificial system, foreshadowing the new system. Follow along verses 6 through 8. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and 
a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Jesus is our chief cornerstone, elect, precious, aligning the foundation of walls. Verse 7, and to you who believe, Jesus has become precious. Those who truly believe have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The stone which the builders of the temple rejected has become the chief cornerstone of a living, holy, spiritual temple. Some stumble on the word of God. Common grace benefits, but only to the extent of living in the world, not in the love of God. Native-born sinners love self and may attempt to benefit from a God, a God they have formed in their understanding of their own native language of ignorance, a God they only call upon to fulfill their sinful desires for pleasure. They cannot love God when Jesus, that is the true knowledge of Jesus, is a rock of offense to them. They are offended by the creeds, offended by the confession, offended by the catechism, offended by the doctrine, especially the doctrine of grace. They may profess to be Christians, but they live without confessions. They live without scriptural ordinances. They live according to their own unrighteous ways, deceived and deluded. They love themselves when they construct a God, a Jesus in their own understanding, to fulfill their desires for pleasure. So they stumble. However, looking further at verse 5, the children of God are in fellowship with God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we offer up spiritual sacrifices. What are those spiritual sacrifices? So remember, first and foremost, the sacrificial system of the old temple, old temple system was fulfilled in Christ. The outward washing, the cutting of flesh by circumcision, the offering of bulls and goats, could never pay the penalty for sin or allow for anyone to stand in the presence of the Holy God. The old system simply bore witness to the reality of the holiness of God and to the need for cleansing and atonement. Only God could provide the true sacrifice. God who remained just and the justifier. Only one lived a righteous life. Only one was clean and pure. Jesus was the one and the only covenant-keeping servant of the Lord. Christ's atoning death fulfilled the temple sacrifices. Christ's blood provided the cleansing. The old sacrificial temple system was only a shadow of the reality of Christ's atoning work on the cross. The Holy Spirit must cleanse the heart. By God's saving grace, be gotten again to a living hope. Remembering that the children of God can only approach God spiritually by the gift of faith. Spiritual holiness is required for both Jew and Gentile alike to be members of the people of God. The shadow of the old temple system does, does continue in the church. The church born again at Pentecost. Remember the essence has remained the same, the practice has changed. We now offer spiritual sacrifices as the church remains in, in essence the same. Follow along verse 9. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a royal priesthood, the spiritual sacrifices we offer now, follow along, verse 9b, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Proclaim the excellencies, the praises of Him. We confess His name. We confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We, we maintain the creeds, the confessions, the catechism in order to confess His name. We do not confess Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. We confess what we believe Jesus is Lord after we have been born again. We have tasted the Lord is gracious. We have an appetite for the Word of God. We love God. We desire and delight in God in the preciousness of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are the living stones aligned with the ultimate preciousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In a holy nation, a spiritual house, an everlasting superstructure. We are precious in the eyes of God. We praise God. We confess Christ. We feel the weight of God's Word. When we confess with our lips that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Without the confessions, how do we know what we believe? Our third point. We now live in a holy nation, a spiritual house. We are to live as people of God. We proclaim the praises of Jesus. We confess Jesus Lord. We are aligned with Jesus. Jesus is reality. Jesus is truth. Peter reiterates all this for emphasis. Because we have been called by Jesus out of darkness. That is, out of our native language of ignorance. Into his marvelous light. We have tasted the Lord is gracious. Follow along verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are now a people of God, living in a spiritual house. By God's saving grace, we have a born-again living heart of flesh, given the gift of faith so that we may believe and be justified. We have now obtained mercy. We are a royal priesthood. We have access to God. And now Peter urges us, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. How do we abstain? How do we lay aside the old nature, lust for pleasure? We depend on God. We put on the Word of God so that we may grow in our love for God. Why do we do all that? Why? So that verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that when we are persecuted, when people speak against us as evildoers, happened in Peter's day, happens all throughout church history, happens today. When people speak evil of us, When unbelievers hear the gospel, some may be saved, but others, when they observe our good works of proclaiming praise to God, 
confessing Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, when some observe our good works, they speak against us as evildoers. Today they call the Bible hate speech. They call Christians evil because they stumble on Jesus, our rock. We should not be surprised the word of God is called hate speech, that we are called evil. This happened throughout history. As the people of God, we are called to glorify God. We glorify God with our praises, with our confession, with the gospel message, and the presence, and in the presence of unbelievers, we glorify God with our praises, confessions, gospel message. Whether or not someone is converted, Peter writes to us, when unbelievers observe our good works of praise, confession, gospel message, and they persecute us, claiming hate speech, and even calling the children of God evil, God is glorified. Because even though some living in their native ignorance persecute God's word and God's people, they only validate God's glorious work, His mercy, His everlasting love in His children. They validate God's glorious works to His children because those works offend them. They stumble on the truth of Christ. If our good works do not offend, either the one who observes our good works has tasted the Lord is gracious, or what we may think are good works, a good profession of faith must be an error. And that does happen. There are a whole lot of churches that have abandoned the creeds, confessions, catechisms, and have modified their professions of faith, even the gospel message, to conform to the worldly systems, the worldly standards. Peter commands us, do not abandon the creeds, the confessions, the catechisms. Do not modify your profession of faith. Abstain from the, the fleshly lusts that tug at us according to our old nature. Look at the Second Timothy Chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I'll close with this, with some scripture. Our application, our application comes from a passage from 1 Timothy, chapter 6. So certainly a passage not solely intended for Timothy, but for all who have been begotten again, have tasted the Lord as gracious, set as a living stone, aligned with the ultimate precious stone, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who are a part of the royal priesthood, have peace with God, access to God, living in a holy nation, a holy house, who remain as pilgrims in this world. Let the word of God sink in and be, and be filled. 1 Timothy 6, 11-16 but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. In the presence of many witnesses, I talk, charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which 
he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone, alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Once again, we come before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, graciously grant that your word which we have heard may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. Fill our hearts with your desires, desires that are well suited for your plans and the purposes you have for our lives. As we have received your word meekly, with pure affection, may our hearts be filled with love for you. And may we glorify you in all that we do. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following your commandments. Create in us that which is pleasing to your love, so that we may love you. Love you, Almighty Father, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And may it please you, Lord, we ask, to use us to lead those who are lost, wandering and confused into the way of truth, to love you. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.